Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Jerilee Renshaw. Welcome to the podcast, Jerilee. Thank you, Richard, and thanks for inviting me. Really glad to have Jerilee here. By way of introduction, she is an active Latter-day Saint. She is a mom of four children, nine grandchildren, lives in Alpine, Utah, currently is the Release Society, one of the Release Society teachers in her ward. And what we're going to, as an overview, we're going to talk about Geraldine's own story to understand and minister to um, members that have stepped away or members that are trying to stay that have really deep and honest questions. So she's going to talk about her own story to understand that space. Then she's going to talk about what's going on in her ward, um, first with her um, first bishop and then with her current bishop and her assignment um, in the Release Society. And we're going to have her give part of a lesson she gave in Release Society that I just think was a great lesson. And our goal here is, for, you know, as I mentioned before, is just principles um, that help us all come together in the body of Christ. We're all in a little different places. We're trying to stay on the covenant path and come unto Christ. And for some, that comes pretty easy. And some faithful members, that comes a little more difficult. And Geraldine just has wonderful insights. So if you're a local leader trying to um, do better to help your local, to help your people in your congregation stay. This will be a great podcast, parents, even individuals, as I mentioned. Is that okay by way of introduction, Geraldine? That's great. Thank you. So let's start with your story. Okay. I was born under the covenant into a pretty ideal loving home in Northern California. My childhood was happy and full of love. I married in the temple to one of the best people I know. Together, we have raised four children. We have two sons and two daughters. And looking back at that time of my life, those were really happy years. We spent, my husband and I, most of our lives being 100% focused and dedicated to the church. It was to a large degree what defined us. We have both served in many leadership positions, including Bishop and Release Society President. I felt like the church had the answers for just about everything, and I was grateful to be a part of it. None of those years, though, of living and loving my life, fully entrenched in teaching and serving in the church, prepared me for the day almost eight years ago when our oldest child, who was at that time married with two children in a Ph.D. program, came to us and began to share the story of the unraveling and almost complete deconstruction of what had once been a strong faith, testimony, and commitment to the LDS Church. Nothing in all of my happy years of growing up and raising my own children in this faith prepared me for that day. I had been raised and taught that we believe in agency free agency. We were meant to choose. And to be honest, at this time in my life, I felt like I had no idea how to honor that agency. When the choice of somebody I loved was different than what I wanted for him. I had no tools in my toolbox, not one. I had never been taught the how of honoring agency. I had followed the plan, checked all the boxes, both sons served missions, check, all four married all four children married in the temple check, and this was not the way it was supposed to go. I found myself in a very real world of hurt and fear like I had never experienced before. This was not my plan. It was not only an emotional experience, but the pain and the fear very much affected me physically as well. 
I knew of no one I could talk to about this as I was afraid that my son would be seen as being off the path. These were different terms that came to my my mind, being off the path, seen as the black sheep or having lost the spirit. And then the other phrase that haunted me was one that's often connected to the temple, and that was, let there be no empty chairs. Even though I found myself in a world of hurt, my mother heart could not accept these thoughts as being applicable to my son. And yet there they were in my head. He was then and still is today one of the best people I know, but he now just believed differently. How do you honor that? I went to church each Sunday and saw smiles on the faces of my friends in the ward, but I felt very alone. How could everyone be so happy when I was sad and dying inside? I did not want to share because I didn't feel that church was a safe place to share those things, and I didn't want anyone to think badly of him. I longed for people who had experienced what I was going through, someone who could tell me it's going to be okay. I wanted a crystal ball. A very wise friend said to me, No matter what he chooses, you need to learn to honor his journey. And wow, that was powerful for me. I needed to learn this so that I could allow for his agency. It took some time, but when I could stop leading with fear and lead with love, everything got better. Now, several years later, and each story is different, three of my four adult children have stepped away from the church to one degree or another. No two paths were the same, but I'm happy to say that my children are not bitter or angry and that they love and honor one another and their very different paths. We love to spend time together and there is great love and acceptance in all of our diversity. So now I focus on the goal of no empty chairs at my family table. And that is to me what is most important and I'll let the eternities work themselves out. Thank you for sharing some of that story, Jerry. Um, You said some really wonderful things in that. I wrote down some notes. Um, and just for one, thanks for having the courage to talk about an adult child that steps away. Um, I, in my own ward, I know that there's many families in the same situation, and we haven't quite developed the ability to talk about that on a consistent basis or openly. And maybe we don't every week, but I just sense that's something you're able to do. Um, when that happened to you, some parents and maybe even more women than men, I don't know if that's true, look inward and think, what did I miss? Um, and sort of think this is my fault now that I have a son that stepped away. Did you do that? Yes, absolutely. I think, I don't know, as parents, it's just such a natural thing to do that we feel responsible for the teaching and the raising of our children that, yes, I did. I really had to make a conscious effort to accept that no matter what I did, he had agency. And that was really big for me to work around that agency issue. Um, And I just realized that I had heard about it my whole life, but I didn't have a clue when the time came how to honor it. Talk about the shame you felt. I don't know if that's the right term, just going to church, knowing that now you're one of these people and have a, a kid not on the path and and how I don't know if that made church harder for you. And if you felt, you know, like somehow you failed and here you were going to church, it reminded of you failing as a mom. Yes, it did make church harder for a while, mostly because I felt like 
I was kind of carrying a secret. I had something huge in my life that I didn't feel safe to talk about. And that's really what it was for me. I didn't feel like I could raise my hand and release society and say, what do you do when this happens? Or, and this, and this was so unexpected. And I think a lot of parents experience it the same way. This was a really, um, obedient and good kid. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't out there testing the waters. He kind of just did everything right. You know, model child. He was AP on his mission. Where did he serve? Orlando, Florida. Orlando. Both of our sons actually served in the same mission. Isn't that interesting? That's really interesting. Um, but he came home, got married in the temple, was put right into bishopric at BYU. I mean, he just was this leader always in the church. And so when it started to fall apart for him, I don't think he really talked about it at first. He kind of just started putting things on the shelf. He was like a sponge searching for truth when he came home from his mission. And he gave us a list for Christmas of all the books from previous apostles and prophets. And he just wanted to read everything. And what was happening, I think in his mind, was he was trying to find ultimate truth. And along the way, he was finding some messiness and he was finding some things that didn't add up, you know, and he's smart enough that he could tell you in which book on which page, who said what. And anyway, and he just kept putting things on a shelf until, as he described it to us, that shelf became a dumpster and he no longer could sort through it all. So, um, you know, and his story, but, you know, often it is not the slackers or the people who really never took the church seriously. Often it's people who really have um, dedicated their life and served and, you know, been leaders who do end up through finding out something about our doctrine and history, really in a wrestle, mm -hmm. you know? And it's really the best of the best that I see it happening to. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's a completely, you know, um, unusual experience. Yeah. Um, very thoughtful insights. And I think of a platitude that Brother Eric Huntsman taught me about is sometimes we, to keep ourselves emotionally safe, we dismiss another story or we have a narrative about people that step away that kind of keeps us emotionally safe and keeps it simple. But if we, I think what you're doing is talking about how, what a wonderful son you have that's oh, trying to do the yes. right thing and seek for truth. And I've found that some really wonderful people do step away from our church and some really wonderful people stay. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's the reality of the situation. And that's just kind of factually talking about without bringing emotion into it that may make it harder to talk about this. Um, this Was he in his 20s or 30s? He was um, late 20s. Late 20s. He was actually married with two children. And what would you this is eight years ago, I think. About eight years ago, yeah. What would you say to your younger self <laughs> this first year or six months of going, you know, being aware that your son was stepping away? And that's sort of a way of you just giving advice to other parents that may have a loved one step away? That's such a good question. Because this is eight years removed. And right. And so I couldn't tell this story without breaking into tears a few years ago, even, you know, but now I've shared it enough times and I, and I feel like I've come to a place where there's been so much learning and growth from it that even though it was hard and I wouldn't wish that experience on somebody else, there's so much that I've gained and learned from it about life and the world around me. So I, I would probably just, 
my advice to myself would be to not be so afraid. I mean, I was just so afraid. I didn't know what this meant. Does this mean he might pull other people away from the church? I mean, I just, I'd never heard the term faith crisis before. I actually Googled it to learn about it. And he didn't actually describe his own story as that, but he said something like, when I find other people in faith crisis, it helps me to feel less alone and that I'm not crazy. You know, so that was the term. And I was like, oh, faith crisis. I've never heard that before. So I literally Googled it. Anyway, so I would just say, you know, we we really need to take that agency thing seriously because all of us know and love people right now who have stepped away to one degree or another from the church. It's really going to be all around us. And our love should not be contingent on what someone believes or doesn't believe, or that they feel differently than we do about something that we may feel is very sacred to us. But we have to honor that we're not, and this is, Richard, this is one of the most important things this whole eight-year journey has taught me, is that we're not all experiencing life, belief, or Mormonism the same way. We're just not. Not sitting in my Relief Society room, not sitting in my chapel, not in my own family. We're just not all having the same experiences. And when we can accept that and really look at the good person that we know. So with my son, I was in this world of hurt. And my husband was hurting too, but he wasn't as emotional as me. And he was able to say to me, put his arms around me. And he said, you know, Tyler is such a good person that he'll probably get to the celestial kingdom before we do. And I went, oh, you're right. He is such a good person. You know what I mean? And so when, if I could, that would be my advice is less fear and show love, lead with love and let that person decide for themselves and really honor their path. I think we have to learn to honor paths that look different than our own. It's really, I love this phrase, Charlie, lead with love. Lead with love. How did, you kind of answered this question, but I think you worry about you know, empty seats at the table in the next life. So when someone that we care about steps away, we we go there. And I don't know if you want to talk about that later as part of your release study lesson or just what, what, and maybe you answered that with what your husband's hug gave you. Just any thoughts for, I'm thinking of people that I know that have adult children that stepped away. And I just know when I, this comes up, there's so much sadness. And and angst. And I, and I think Heavenly Father would want to somehow take that out of the moms, particularly um, that are worried about adult or any age child that <laughs> stepped away. Excuse me. I would just say that I think we have to rely on faith and hope. And if I'm honest with you, I don't really know how it all works out in the next life. That's I heard I heard Greg Prince say once something like, I don't really know how this works out when we're all connected and we're all like living in the same place as eternal families, like who orders the Thanksgiving turkeys? And it made me laugh. And I thought, you know, really, we don't know. And we just need to put our trust in God that, you know, it's going to work out somehow. And I don't believe that um, people who may step away from the church are lost or aren't ever going to make it. I think when I think about statistically the numbers of people on this earth and that in Mormonism, we are, I think, less than one half of 1% of people, I think there are paths for different people 
And I don't think that we've got a corner on the market completely. And I'm not sure how that all works out, but I think there's lots of room for hope. And when I say I'm going to let the eternities work themselves out, I really mean that. I really don't fear for that anymore, but I have experienced that fear for sure. How how do you, some parents that have grandchildren now that are growing up outside the Mm -hmm. church, that's kind Mm -hmm. of another layer of fear that they're not going to have the same opportunities. How do you... How do you process that? We talked about that one of the first times we actually got together with our son in person. And I should say he was living in another state. And so some of our first conversations were through emails and text messages. And when I could sit down with him one-on-one and hear his story and the sincerity of his quest for truth, I felt so much better. Because I, you know, his strong spirit came through and I thought this is about integrity for him. This is about truth and integrity and really trying to figure out his path in life. Um, so I got distracted now. What was the and question just then, you asked me? I think then his faith and integrity for your grandkids. Oh, I grandkids. Think. Yeah. So my husband did bring that up and he said, you know, I am pretty confident that you can lead your life and be fine. But what about the next generation? And our son said, yeah, you know, I've, I've thought about that too. And I don't have all the answers, you know, but as it is. So after several years of kind of wrestling to stay in some kind of a middle way in the church, they did resign their membership. And so our, his two children, our grandchildren are not being raised in the church, but they are an awesome family. And I think they're doing a great job raising their kids. And so I don't have a lot of fear about that anymore. And I think to me, I like your answer. And I would think that Heavenly Father would, if we really own our doctrine, I think he'd want you to feel that way. I don't think it's like you're turning your back on the church. You're ignoring the realities of a grandchild being raised outside the church. I think what Heavenly Father would say, let, you know, if we really own our doctrine, this beautiful plan of salvation and heavenly parents who love each of us and want to do everything we can to get us back and the power of the atonement, then I would say, you know, you shouldn't have fear, even though it's not what you hope for. <laughs> so that's a really good point. I, and I said this in my release study lesson, I don't think we were meant to be sad and heartbroken our whole life. So I went through a period of time sure. for sure. And I think I had to go through it or it had to go through me. However, it works where there was sadness for sure. And finding other people who had experienced it was super helpful because then it wasn't like I was the only person who had ever experienced it. Right. So, um, I just think we have to be able to find peace in the fact that I made my choices and my son and my daughters make their choices and it's going to be okay. Um, there's a Facebook group that my older brother Dave and you, I can't if I don't know if you co-founded it or <laughs> it was it was David Osler's idea, your brother. And I can't and I volunteered to help him, and it's called Bridges. So that is a group for parents with an adult child who has either stepped away or believes differently or left the church. And it's focus is to help parents support each other. So there are sometimes some heartbreaking stories that are shared there. And some parents are starting to figure out like I did in time that it gets better and you don't have to be afraid and unhappy and crying all the time. 
Um, and so that's really a good support resource. When he said he wanted to start that, I just thought, oh my goodness, I could have so benefited from something like that back in the days when I was really in pain. So that's a great resource for parents of adult children to be aware of. So I th- it's Bridges. I think if you go to Facebook bridges. and just put Bridges, yeah. um, and maybe it has a longer title that it's, tied into... It says something about support for Latter-day Saint parents or yeah. something. And you request to join. There's three simple little questions you answer, and then we'll bring you into the group, and you will feel less alone in the journey. That's cool. And I'm a member of that group, even though I don't <laughs> have any kids that are outside the church, but you've just let me be in there. And I've enjoyed reading the stories and the healing that occurs, um, that occurred for you as you connected with other people and you're describing. When your son, um, you know, said, this is my path, did he try to pull you down the same path? No. Oh, no. And, and that's really an important point. So everybody handles it differently, but this particular child actually... Um, said at some point, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like I'm just done wrestling with it that I want to move on. There's other things of interest to me with his career and he never brings it up. But if somebody were hurting and went to him, he would talk with them for counsel or advice. What was your experience? He would certainly, he never says anything derogatory about the church. I don't think any of my kids that aren't active do really, honestly. And then they have one sister who's active and raising her kids in the church. And the and that was a big fear for me when this happened. What are the siblings going to think about him? Because he was kind of on a pedestal being the oldest child. And it just hasn't, it just hasn't turned out that way. They just love and respect each other. And it's really a beautiful thing. You know, even though it looks very different than I thought it would, it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I love that, and I love the maturity of all family members there that are we are honoring everybody on their path, and we're just kind of keeping the family circle together, whether right. defining relationships by our people in the church or not. And that doesn't yeah. come on day one, but I love where you are and the peace you have in your life. Yeah. And I really love this um, this line, lead with love. I remember talking to, I think, my great-grandfather when I was a teenager who lived into his 90s and seemed to be able to just be at peace. And he talked, and I said, Grandpa, how come you don't worry about things? And he said, I just kind of have three circles. I have the circle that I can control, and then I have a circle outside of that, a circle I can influence, and then I have another circle, which is a circle I have no control over. And one of the things I think (laughs) decreased his anxiety and increased his peace in life and and he's a deeply faithful member of the church, is just he realized that he was going to spend his energy on things he could control and be kind of at peace, especially as ch- in a children's situation that our kids move um, out of into those different circles as yeah. they age up. And that can be um, difficult for parents, even That's, if kids don't change their faith, <laughs> just the relationship. That is we, a great story and such an important point. I'm glad you brought that up because I think I was a micromanager. Like I raised my kids this way and this was the expectation, sure. right? And that doesn't give them any room for agency. It's just like my plan for the, their for their life. And that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. So, but it took me, you know, it was humbling <laughs> to accept that. So that's a great story about your grandfather. Thank you. Well, your family story has touched me. Um, and has given me a role model. You are kind of a mentor to me as I, um, I've shared on this podcast, I went through many faith crisis as a singles word bishop, and I kind of came out of that um, fully believing committed member 
Um, but it was people like you um, and others that were examples to me of someone that could walk into this space and and sort of validate how I felt, um, honored how I felt, and gave me tools to work through this space. Um, I never felt criticized for having doubt as I reached out to people like you and others. I never felt um, compared to the tears. I never, some of that narrative that I had applied to people that were struggling, um, people in my life that were the most helpful to me, including my own local stake president, never did that. They validated how I felt and they honored how I felt and they created space. Um, and I don't want to redo that podcast again, but one of my priestly leaders taught me the domino concept, which is sort of, he gave me permission to have a couple fallen dominoes that could be yeah. warts around our restoration. And he didn't, and it was helpful for me because dominoes kind of infer that all dominoes fall. But for me, a couple fell and he didn't define our relationship about straightening up my fallen dominoes. He kind of let me have them fall. Um, and then we kind of talked about what I still deeply believe in. Um, we, I don't want to redo that podcast, but there's some dominoes with roots that are really deep that keep me a fully believing member. Those dominoes haven't really ever come back up. I haven't made my relationship with the church focused on my fallen dominoes. Um, I've just tried to recognize they are where they are and focus on the things that I still believe in. But the key to that was people like Geraldine and my priesthood leaders, particularly my local stick president, who gave me permission to feel the way I was feeling um, and, and not shame me for having sort of honest questions. They never criticized me for having doubt. They never demonized doubt as to doubt to me, if you're trying to stay in your doubt to leave the church versus, and it's a, it's a road to leave the church and your goal is to leave. That's one thing than really faithful members who have doubt and want to stay. And if we criticize them for having doubt, that seems like a hard thing to control. <laughs> any thoughts I'm, on any of yeah, that? Yeah, I hope we're moving away from the fear of doubt in the church. I think um, if we were really to get into the hearts and the minds of people sitting in our sacrament meetings, we don't all believe the same things and we don't all know. And some of us don't really claim to know anything. It's funny that the older I get, the less I feel I know about most things because I'm learning that although I've spent years testifying about things that, you know, there's so much more for me to learn about this and that there's actually something really beautiful in faith and hope, which isn't a perfect knowledge. And I feel like my faith and my hope is much more valuable by admitting that I don't know it all. I don't. And um, I just think that's from a place of integrity and a place of spiritual maturity versus somehow you've slid back. <laughs> right. And every story of people's, we're all on some kind of a faith journey, you know, whether it's a crisis or just a journey is different and sacred, you know, and we need to honor these different experiences that people are having and say, we welcome you here. If you know, there's a place for you here, no matter where you are or what, or how you feel or what you believe, or if you don't believe, if you want to be here. And that really resonates with me because I think of Christ and we always said in our bishopric meeting, we wanted there not to be a belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome in a LDS congregation. Right. We talk about the narrowing of the gate, and I think I visually grew up thinking that happens before you get walk into the door of a church. 
But now I think that kind of happens in the temple where there is a belief and behavior hurdle um, to go participate in, in mm-hmm. the temple, but the congregation there isn't. <laughs> right. And there's, right. And, and so that's been helpful for me too. Um, about four or five years ago, you moved into a new ward in Alpine, and you've had two bishops since then, and both bishops have been outstanding. And um, I wanted to have you share some of that because there may be bishops or local leaders listening that go, you know, I want to do a better job in my responsibility to my ward members. And and so talk about your first bishop. And Sure. Um, we just moved a mile or so away in the same stake. But um, after this experience with my son, I started um, learning all that I could about some of the messy details. The church started coming out with essays, and they are on the church website now. And I started reading those. And somehow um, that became a difficult thing for me in my last ward. Um, I think... I think somebody heard that I was reading the essays and thought maybe it was anti-Mormon material, which it's not. And so uh, without going into too much detail, I had started to feel very uncomfortable in this ward and that, um, and I wasn't so sure I trusted the leadership there. So our move um, was not because of that, but it was kind of a relief in a way. And so we moved into this ward and, you know, it's Utah. Our bishop lived on our very street. So after we were there a couple couple weeks, he asked if he could come visit. And he came and sat in our family room and wanted to get to know us. And we were having a great chat. And um, and I, I made a comment about, you know, I'm sure you've had some contact with our bishop. And he kind of smiled and said, yeah, you know, he expressed a few concerns. And he said, but I just want you to know how happy we are to have you here. And boy, was that a relief to feel like I had somebody who was the leader of my new ward, who was just really welcoming and happy to have us there. And he was very genuine about it. And then the next morning I woke up to a text message from him that said, we're so fortunate to have you in our ward again. And I just thought, wow, that's so nice to feel totally welcomed in that way. And he got to be someone who I really trusted and I, and he earned my trust. And I was able to talk with them about some hard things. And he even shared some things that were hard for him. And so I felt like I really had this great, you know, friendship and trust that was built with a bishop, which was a new experience from what, you know, from what we had experienced before. And I was so grateful for that. And then, um, he was bishop for a couple years. Did you have a question? I was just, I love this. Um, I'm so happy you're here. Yeah. It was just so welcoming and so loving was so warm. And it sounds like he knew a little bit about your experience in the prior ward and recognized that that he, he didn't he wanted to have a better experience for yeah. you here. Um, I think he probably understood that that's what we needed to hear. You know. Um, you also said you know I can't remember if you said he earned my trust and what if I'm a bishop or release study president and I want to create an environment maybe you're going to get this in release society talk where my ward members will talk to me. I actually want my ward members to open up to me, but I'm not sure I have the skill set so that if someone's really struggling about whatever, that they will actually talk to me. I don't know how I can do that. (laughs) So I think the first thing is to get a little educated. I have talked to many bishops and stake presidents who have not read the essays. And I'm telling you, 
that sometimes that's really a tripping point for people. Some people can read Why? the essays and not have a problem with it. And other people read the essays and they learn things that they don't feel like they were ever taught in seminary or Sunday school. It's not necessarily in the correlated material. So I know, um, you know, return missionaries who feel like they got tripped up by that because they got out on their missions and met investigators with smartphones who were saying, oh yeah, Mormons, they, you know, this is in your history. And no, 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 that's not, I testify to you. I was raised in this church. I was born and raised in this church and that's not true. So polygamy like is one subject. So if a bishop or leader can get a little education and accept the fact that although it may not be difficult for you, it could be difficult for other people. So this first bishop, when we moved into this ward had a lesson on the essays and he stood in front of the class. He had everybody get out their smartphones. He had them get on the church website so they knew where to find them. And he encouraged them to read them with their families. And then he said, you may read through these essays and find some things that you didn't know before. Some of those things might be surprising or upsetting to you. You might read through the essays and have it not affect you at all. They don't affect everybody the same way, depending on where we are. We've all had these different life experiences. And then the new bishop that came in, are we to that point yet? Can I talk about that? I love that. Okay. So then, uh, so this bishop was in for a couple of years and then a new bishop came in in December and I had established this great relationship with the first bishop. So I was kind of apprehensive. Gosh, I wonder how that will be. And then pretty soon I started to hear that um, a couple of months in the new bishop met with his ward council on a Sunday morning. And he asked this question, is our ward a safe place for everyone? When I heard that, I was so touched because I thought that is a church leader who really is reaching out to the one. And sometimes I think we miss that in the church. We try to kind of teach to the middle and people who don't feel like they fit a whole a hundred percent can feel like they're on the fringes and fade away. But that to me said, he wants everybody who wants to be there to be welcome. And I was so happy to hear that. And then I've gotten to be good friends with the Release Society president of this ward. And I can see that between the Bishop and the Release Society president, they are working very hard to send the message that we're not all the same. And they also planned a fifth Sunday lesson on the essays. So I've had two bishops in four years that have had a fifth Sunday lesson on the essays. And I don't think that's happening in every ward. So I feel really grateful that they are trying to um, be in touch with what people are experiencing. And um, the bishop current bishops had his wife get up and share a story about one of their children who has stepped away from the church. And she did it very humbly and very sweetly. And she said how hard it was at first for her. And she even thought, oh, there must be reading anti-Mormon stuff because we tend to think that when we think people have problems with issues. And then she started to talk about the essays and said, and then I realized the church had these essays and this isn't anti-Mormon material. But there is some messy stuff out there that we aren't all aware of. But this is a safe source to go to on the church website. And so it was really wonderful coming from her. And then he had, the bishop had challenged different members of the ward council to read the essays themselves with their families. And then in that fifth Sunday lesson, he had each one get up and tell a few minutes, share for a few minutes about their experience. 
And one of them did share that, you know, out of all of their children who are mostly adults, maybe one teenager, one of them does kind of have some questions about the essay. So it's opened up an opportunity in the family where they're discussing things now. So I just think we have to be open about these things and we have to know they're there and that, you know, for some people it's a big deal. And for other people, it's not as big a deal, but we shouldn't say, oh yeah, that's stuff you should have known or stuff I've known my whole life. Like we really need to honor that this is a wrestle for some people. It's real. I love that. And I love the humility of this bishop's question toward counsel. Is our ward a safe place for everyone? Um, he could have, that could have been such a different question right. where he said, I believe our ward is a safe place for everyone, or I visited with right. so-and-so and, you know, I, I believe we're doing a good job of creating the ward be a safe place for everybody. But then in a ward council, the, 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 answers will be so different between the phrasing of those two questions. The mm-hmm. second one will be more confirming, you're right, Bishop, this is a safe place, and I know, brother, so-and-so. But at that first question, um, that open, it's not a yes-no. Well, it, I guess it could be answered in the yes-no, but I would guess if I'm a member of that council, then Bishop's just given me permission to open up about what I'm seeing in the ward. And he wants to learn. And that que- what a great right. question. And then all those leaders in that meeting take that away from that meeting with them. And during the week, maybe they rub shoulders with somebody in the ward who might appear to be struggling or maybe isn't active. And maybe they're going to have more compassion now for how could we make this person feel welcome for whatever reason that they want to come because it's their you know, community, their neighborhood, for whatever reason people want to be there, they should feel welcome at church. Um, I just love that. And I, and I love the power of that and what's happening in your ward. And we, I assume we could have 10, 20 people uh, from your ward on the podcast talking about how that ward culture is helping them. Yeah. Um, stay and healing them and giving them better hope with with someone in their family that has stepped away, that there's others that are walking that road. And for me, the essays, um, also, if I were, a, I'm going to say a rank and file member, I guess we're all <laughs> rank and file members, but if I were, you know, 25 and had questions about the church history and I went to my priesthood leader um, or even a young women's or young men's prison, if I'm in my teens, and they, to your point, if they, if I ask a question and they haven't read the essays, then it's, it's going to be difficult for them to fully answer my question because they won't know what is fact and not fact in the question I ask. And, and so I recognize, just like you're teaching, part of, I think, our responsibility uh, as members of the church is to read the essays because then I think we're in a better position and one of the points you made is that the role of the family, and that's certainly consistent with the direction of the church. So even more so, a family, a, you know, parents need to read the essays. Yeah, and I know um, the first lesson I attended in this ward, first bishop who taught on the essays, he shared that he had a daughter leaving on a mission and that they had sat down as a family and gone over all the essays before she went on a mission. So hopefully that, you know, young sister missionary didn't get tripped up by somebody with a smartphone telling them something about their church that maybe they hadn't heard in seminary or Sunday school or at home. I love that. And our son came home one day from seminary and talked about um, the church's new website on LGBTQ and then later came home and talked about um, Joseph Smith's polygamy. 
And I, f- I reached out to those seminary teachers at Cottonwood High School. Reed Blackburn was one of them. And just thank them that yes. in the high school seminary setting, they're talking. Now, it doesn't take the responsibility off me as parents, because um, I agree with you, Jerry. I love what some parents are doing, but I just love that um, at, the, at the high school age that our youth are learning about the essays. Uh, do you want to quote the President Ballard? Do you know that off the top of your head? Oh, I Gone don't. Gone are the days. When yeah, we... it, was a, it was a talk by Elder Ballard several years ago, and he was addressing CES teachers and directors. And I can't remember, I should memorize it, it's a good one. I can't remember the quote completely, but he said, you not only need to read the essays, but you need to know them like the back of your hand. And that is a really powerful statement. I wish we could hear that from General Conference so that the whole membership of the church, not just the CES teachers would hear that. But he did say, and this is the part I don't know for sure, gone are the days, and it was something to the effect of when, you know, don't worry about it or, or read your scriptures, pray more, read your scriptures are not, they're not going to be the answers that are going to fix it for people anymore. Like we have to face it. I think you did a pretty good job on both of those. Um, And the only thing I remember in the second part of that are gone of the days we bore testimony to an honest question. Yes. Oh yeah. That has been the sort of the formulas to bear testimony. And I love to bear testimony in the right situation, but as a a universal formula for every situation. To me, if I'm opening up, you know, just to hear a testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel, then it may not validate how I feel. It may sort of sometimes add to my burden that my deep, complex questions could be sort of dismissed or or solved with a simple testimony. That may be the right thing in some situations, but I think Elder Ballard's teaching us listening and understanding. And I think his bigger message was... We've had these essays written by some of the best and brightest of our historians, and we have we need to be more transparent now about some of our history, and it's there on the church website, and we all need to be aware of it. And I, I do really think it's important for all leaders of the church to read them, whether it's a Relief Society president, a young women's president, because our teenagers are not immune to faith crisis. It's happening younger yeah. and younger all the time. I agree with that, and and thank you for all that. One last thought that was on my brain, but it's gone, so it may come back. <laughs> um, but oh, I liked Elder. It was going to be Elder Snow, who's been re- who's a, I believe granted emeritus status at the October 2019 conference. Right. Who is our church historian? Yep, he was a 70 and a church historian, and on his 70th birthday, he's officially released because when you turn 70, yeah, yeah, that's when you go emeritus. And he did give some very open um, interviews following, well, they were released a few days after his birthday, but he spoke very openly about those essays and other things. And I like that. I love the way he just fact, he said, we, I liked his wording of warts. He says, we have some real warts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't quite know how he put that in context, but it just, it was consistent with my belief. There's beautiful restored doctrine that came out of the restoration. That's fundamental to my testimony, but there are warts. And you know what, um, Richard, history so is messy. Like <laughs> yeah. History is messy. All history, not just LDS history. All history is messy, you know? And so I think it's important for us to know about it um, and not ignore it, especially in this day and age. The internet has really changed things for the church. They've really had to address some things that 
before we had the internet, they didn't really have to talk about it too much. So, um, talk about your you your how long talk about your assignment, your ward, and mm-hmm. and then this lesson. Okay, I've only been a Relief Society teacher for a short period of time. I've only taught two lessons so far, but the very first one I was assigned was um, Elder Suarez. I think that's pronounced correctly. Talk called. How can I understand from April General Conference? And I was really happy to be assigned that talk because I remembered when he gave it that there was that he addressed people who either step back from or leave the church and he talked about how we should handle it. So my ears always perk up when I hear that kind of a thing. So maybe so I started out um, sharing my story, which I've already shared here on the podcast. And then I got into Elder Suarez talk. Um, where he says, this is quote, maybe some of you are at this exact moment asking yourselves, Elder Suarez, I have been doing all these things and have been following this model both individually and as a family. But unfortunately, some of my friends or dear ones have distanced themselves from the Lord. What should I do? For those of you who are right now experiencing these feelings of sadness, agony, and maybe regret, Please know that they are not totally lost because the Lord knows where they are and is watching over them. Remember, they are his children too. It is hard to understand all the reasons why some people take another path. The best we can do in these circumstances is just to love and embrace them. End quote. So I loved that because I learned for me that learning to lead with love was the most important thing because fear can really get in the way, especially when we are members of the church and we want so badly for our children to follow this pattern. So I, I felt like he was really reinforcing what I felt like I had learned. And so his talk is kind of about teaching and teaching the gospel. And that's when that question came up. And then I shared a quote by President Uchtdorf, which I love. And he says, one might ask, if the gospel is so wonderful, why would anybody leave? Sometimes we assume it is because they have been offended or lazy or sinful. Actually, it is not that simple. In fact, there is just not one reason that applies to the variety of situations. Some of our dear members struggle for years with this question, whether they should separate themselves from the church. And that was from his beautiful talk entitled, Come Join With Us. And I remember when he was giving that talk, I was in in my home just saying, yes, yes, he gets it. Like he just is so speaking right to all of us. And I I love him for that. Um, This lesson, I don't know that in Release Society in this ward or any ward I've been in, we've ever talked about people leaving the church. And so this really gave us an opportunity to talk about that because of what Elder Suarez had said. And there really, in my view, was kind of a raw, vulnerable time of sharing among the sisters in the ward where lots of hands went up and I didn't get through nearly all the notes and material I had because it was so wonderful to have people sharing stories and, and there were tears and, you know, I and the bishop's wives were not the only ones in that room who had experienced having a child leave the church. And some, I think, were going through it currently, and it was painful. And so what I think I learned there and what I'm being taught by other friends that I have that teach Relief Society is that when we can be vulnerable and share not only the great things that happen in our life, but the things that are hard, then other people are willing to share too, and they feel less alone. 
And so that's what I experienced that day. Elder Suarez goes on and to say, um, and this again is his advice for what we do with our friends and family and loved ones who may either have stepped away from or have left the church. He says, pray for their well-being and seek the Lord's help to know what to do and say. Sincerely rejoice with them in their successes. Be their friends and look for the good in them. We should never give up on them, but persevere, but preserve our relationships. Never reject or misjudge them. And then for the second time, he says, just love them, exclamation mark. And that was just beautiful. Like that was a great list of things that we should do as parents, as neighbors, as siblings, as spouses, if we have somebody that has a change in their faith or steps away from the church or leaves or just no longer believes. All of those things can happen all around us. And so I was really, really grateful um, for Elder Suarez for giving this talk. And then I had found a story in the book about President Kimball's life that was written by his son, Edward Kimball. So you and I share a common friend, Richard, in in a grandson of President Kimball, Chris Kimball, and he had brought this to my attention when I was preparing this lesson. And I won't go through the whole thing, but it the family got together when this book about his life was being written by Edward, his son, and decided that this story should be included. And President Kimball's oldest son um, stepped away from the church or just left activity in the church at some point after his mission. And this was, of course, a very big concern of President Kimball. He wasn't the president of the church yet, um, but he was a church leader. And of course, he wanted all of his children to stay in the church. And so he tried to communicate with his son how important it would be for him to stay in the church. And then when he was called to be, and the son didn't come back to activity in the church, when he was called to be the prophet, he decided he wanted to make one last ditch effort to try to get his son to come back to the church. So I believe he either gathered all of his children together or he wrote a letter and he said, I really need your support in all of this. And that support would be for you to be active in the church and maybe even temple attending, something like that. And for this oldest son, this was very hurtful. He had lived a very good life and was a prominent um, businessman in the area. And he felt like my father doesn't even honor the good person that I am. It's so important that I be active in the church to him, but he doesn't really recognize that I'm this really good person. And so there was some hurt feelings there. Anyway, he wrote a letter to his father, who now was the president of the church. And he, it was, he was angry and he was going to end their relationship. And and then he thought about his sweet mother, Camilla, and he decided that he couldn't, he couldn't send that letter because he didn't want to hurt his mother. So when this short story was shared, I had asked my bishop's wife to share this story. And it's really a touching account. Um, people were so fascinated to know that even a prophet, even somebody, Spencer W. Kimball, who most of us have known in our lifetime, struggled with this very same thing that we want to try to preach to our kids and we want to try to, you know, convince them they need to stay in the church, but that's not really honoring agency. So the Kimball family felt that it was really important for this story to be shared and that maybe it would help other people to recognize that you can push so hard that you can destroy relationships or hurt relationships. And so for me, that keeping my kids close and letting them know that I love them and that I honor them and that I trust their journey 
is so important. And it's not always easy, but we just need to do it because they have to have that choice. It has to be their choice. Elder Ballard, can I move on to an Elder Ballard quote? Elder Ballard did a Q&A at BYU in 2017 where this question was asked of him. He said, um, the question was, if I have family or friends who are less active, how far do I go in my attempts to bring them back? And this is really clear. My answer is, please do not preach to them. Your family members or friends already know the church's teachings. They do not need another lecture exclamation mark. What they need, what we all need is love and understanding, not judging. Share your positive experiences of living the gospel. The most powerful thing you can do is share your spiritual experiences with family and friends. Also be genuinely interested in their lives, their successes, and their challenges. Always be warm, gentle, loving, and kind. And that is just a beautiful response for parents, or anyone who's struggling with, what do I do? Because we kind of feel this responsibility. It's the missionaries in us that we've been trained to be, to try to bring people back. And sometimes just acknowledging for whatever their reason is, yes, I know there's some difficult things in our history or doctrine, and I know this can be really hard. Acknowledge and validate what somebody has experienced. Your experience may be completely different, but if we validate them, then they feel like we really do genuinely love them and that we don't just love them because they're on the path, right? So I think that's, you know, and then I closed my lesson just with the example of Christ, which I think just couldn't be more perfect. Christ's entire ministry and example showed he was completely aware of each person's need for belonging. His ministry was one of healing and lifting those he believed to be, or those believed, excuse me, to be less deserving, the lepers, the poor women and Samaritans. He reached out and loved the sick, the broken, the rejected, the unpopular and the burdened. His love invited all to be as one. He shattered the social norms of his time that excluded others. He walked with them. He talked with them. And above all, he loved them. And that really is our ultimate example, isn't it? I just have a big smile on my face. I don't want to say anything because I'm just enjoying the spirit of being, I feel like I'm in Geraldine's Relief Society class and um, the spirit that you bring as you teach that way. And it's so healing and it's so hopeful and thank you. Well, I hope I'm, you know, I'm willing to try to um, share some of the experience that I have had. And that's the thing about this. You know, you often go through painful things in life. And at the time, honestly, I have looked up at the heavens and thought and asked out loud, why? Why me? Why am I going through this? Like I did everything right, you know? But honestly, the beautiful thing, Richard, is that we can help other people feel less alone. You know, I'm not the only one that's experiencing this. And now I interact with people all the time who have either experienced this themselves or they're experiencing it with their children or are going through it currently. Sometimes it's a spouse. I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios and I get it. I understand the messiness and the difficulty and why people end up in faith crisis. And I also understand as a very hurt, fearful parent, what it was like when it was my child. Um. I assume your relationship with the sisters and brothers in your ward is such that they are opening up to you about what's going on in their lives. Um, 
hallway conversations, texts. And so I, well, I think one of the principles is if you teach a lesson like that, then I've got, I may not have something going on a faith crisis, but I may have a whole different category of difficult things to talk about. And I know I can talk to Geraldine. As I talk about that principle. As I run into people, once I was at a, a bridal shower and somebody pulled me aside and said, I'm so grateful for that lesson. I so needed it that day. I've been having this difficult relationship with an adult child who's moved out of the home and I've been preaching on emails or whatever, you know, and then somebody else pulled me aside and said, you, you'll never know how great it was to walk into Release Society and be able to hear that other people were experiencing something I had kept inside. And so the stories That's probably will still come out. Line. Yeah. And so I was able to say to these women, you know, there was a time when I didn't feel safe coming to church and talking about this, but now almost eight years later, I'm going to share with you what happened to me because it wasn't the end of the world. And I used to wonder when I would see people with smiles on their faces at church, am I ever going to feel happy again? Like I really wondered that, but we can't stay in that state. We have to go through it and experience it. And then we need to learn how to let it go and let people choose for their life and keep them in our lives and still love them and allow for the differences. Just say to a parent has an adult child that stepped away that really wants to bring the rest of the family with them. And every time they're together, their adult child is a negative influence in a way that they want people to follow them. And their the parents are kind of at peace with this child going, but they're really unsettled about the impact, um, not from just an example, but from the content that person's sharing to try to draw other people that direction. That's really tough. I... I have a lot of empathy for that. I would try to go to that child and let them know that you honor their choices and that you hope that they allow space for other people to figure out their own journey as well. I think we have to tread lightly in the journeys of other people. So I know a lot a about great line. the net message. You have some great lines here that I don't <laughs> realize if you know. We need to tread lightly in the journeys of other people. Yeah. So I know a lot about the messiness of church history and doctrine now. I've read the essays. I've done extensive reading outside of that. I would never blurt that out to anybody. I would never, other than my own children that I was raising— I wouldn't, you know, I, I just, I just don't want to rock the boat for anybody, but I want, there are things I can say to let people know that they're not alone or that I understand or that I would be a good listening ear if they needed somebody by sharing my own experience. Right. So it's a yes. great answer. It's a really good answer. I'm, I would try to go to that person. I like that. And I would, I like the personal one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Um, but that's a tough, that's not something I've experienced. That's a tough situation. I love what we're talking about love, because if I have somebody that I care about that stepped away from the church, I agree that preaching to them is not going to likely change. But mm -hmm. I would probably try to love that person unconditionally. And I, I wouldn't do this in a manipulative way, but I would do it because it's the right thing to do. But I recognize on a practical level, if that person ever feels like they need, they've they might want to come back or they might revisit their decision or they might just want to open the door a little bit to thinking a little differently. They're going to open up to the person that showed the most love. Um, yes. And their heels aren't sort of dug in and they haven't sort you know, some of those bound, you know, some of those walls that would be so hard to come down. And so I love what you're teaching and because I, adult children do come back. <laughs> People at times do come back to the church and, 
um, I, I sort of think about what happened there, and often it's just an unconditional loving relationship. And and in that may come a spiritual prompting in a trusted moment that doesn't feel like it's um, agenda-based, just to share a, a spiritual prompting or to remind them of something or an experience they had. And, and if there's so much, I, you know, then I think we can influence people when it's the right time and done for the right motive and, and really relying on the Spirit to help us when that is. Yeah. So it's, it's complicated, but I love that. And love is something you can control. Everything you've taught us, Charlie, back to those circles of my great-grandpa, everything that you are doing and you've taught us in this lesson is in that first circle. <laughs> you know, we can love people. Right. Um, I think we need to remember, too, that it's a journey and it's not over. And what happens today might not be where we're at 10 years from now. You know, and so we need to allow people the room and the space to figure it out. And I also think that some people greatly benefit from a sabbatical at church. Talk about what a sabbatical is. That's a term I didn't understand until recently. It's just taking a break from. It's maybe staying, I'm just going to go to sacrament meeting. Or maybe it's for a couple months, I'm just going to not attend and I'm going to do something different on Sundays. I'm going to quiet my heart and mind from this wrestle that I'm in. And some people get so tied up in knots about things that it becomes a very negative space for them. And sometimes stepping back from, you know, reading or researching or whatever the struggle is just gives you a little space to kind of find some peace because generally oftentimes when I hear faith crisis stories and I hear a lot of them, it's very intense at first. And then in time, it kind of mellows out and, you know, maybe the same issues are still there, but people have figured out how they can work with it or how they can handle it or how they can make it work in their family or that they don't, you know, I've heard it said, I don't need the church to be perfect. I need the church to be good. And so maybe people are just finding the goodness in the people around them in their ward and in their neighborhood. And even though we have those warts that we talk about. So I, I think we need answer. to give space. I, If we just ask what the word sabbatical is, I think it means temporary situation. I think yes. of it in a college yeah, good. professor term mm -hmm. that they're going to take a semester off and do something yeah. productive. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not productive, like just hike around Europe yeah. if they can do that, which may be productive. But I love, I think my natural reaction five years ago, well, that's just the step to leaving the church completely, a sabbatical. But I think in, I would say what you're doing, I would probably just, even though I just say, I trust you. Um, yeah, and that's and so And I trust validating. you in your journey. Um, I know who you are is a good person that fundamentally wants to do what's right. And this isn't about rebellion or not wanting to do the right thing or turning your way on God, or turning your back on God. So I'd probably just say, I trust you. <laughs> so I had this experience that I'm not super proud of, but I'll share it as an example of that. So this was at least six years ago. So in my last ward and I was sitting in Relief Society and something was said that was very unkind to war aimed at LGBT people. And I was very triggered and I thought, this does not invite a welcoming spirit into this room. This does not make, and I knew there was parents in that room. There was mothers in that room with gay kids. 
So I came home very upset and I stood in the middle of the kitchen, just my husband and I, and I like raged about it. I just like was letting it all loose. And my husband did the most amazing thing. He walked up to me and he put his arms around me and he said, I'm sorry this was so hard. And if you need to take a break from church for a while, I totally support that. Wow. And I was like, wow, like that just like releases all this anger and everything. Like I really have been given permission to step back for a minute if I need to catch my breath, you know? And there was something and I didn't, but it was, it was very validating, very validating. What a great principle of ministering. Yeah, it was amazing. It was, and he was just so gentle and so calm and just, and it's, you know. I love that story because I think that that is, I think it, local leaders and others should be open to that kind of a response because it may just be validating the difficulty of the situation that keeps somebody going. Um, yeah, I, this yeah. podcast is, it's a church affirming podcast. So I do want more people to stay in the church. Right. Um, and, but we do honor those and try to humanize those that step away to keep the family circle together and keep community and decrease the tension and pain. So that's kind of the focus here. But I do like that kind of a story because I think that honoring people where they are and validating how they feel and giving permission to have a few fallen dominoes helps more people stay. Yeah. And is consistent with what Elder Suarez and Elder Uchtdorf talked. I'm, I wrote down our bishop in our ward who I really love, gave a testimony, um, and he talked about being overweight. And oh. it was, he said, you know, every year I go get a physical and I need to give up this stuff, and every year I don't. And he was just saying, I hope I can do better. Um, but I, I was so touched by his testimony because of the vulnerability to talk about his weight over Very the pulpit. Very vulnerable, yeah. And maybe that's easier for a man than a woman. And I haven't, and I, it just touched me because I thought, well, I know I can talk. So it's kind of back to what can we do as a leader to make us more approachable? So when my bishop talked about being a little overweight and liking candy and not being able to give it up, it was, it was just a real moment. But I thinking of all the youth there or me or anybody else says, you know, my bishop's pretty real. He didn't sell out the doctrine of our church to be vulnerable. He just was honest. Yeah. <laughs> and and I just, so that's it. As, as your listeners are thinking, what could I do? I mean, it's like what Elder Holland did when he gave the talk about the broken vessel and just talked about that his own journey with his own emotional health. And what happened? We just all love Elder Holland more. Yeah. Our love for Elder Holland, our respect for him. Generally, I can't speak for all of our listeners and all the church just went up. And we, and I passed Elder Holland in the Salt Lake Temple at the elevator. I didn't stop. I know he's busy. But, you know, I just knew if I stopped and he had five minutes to talk about whatever was in my heart, I could have talked to Elder Holland yeah. because of that talk. Yeah. And so I hope that people can have the kind of relationship with their bishop or Relief Society president, or if they're feeling stress in their life for whatever reason, and maybe they need to, to be released from a calling, that that can be respected. You know, I, it took me 50 years of being in the church before I gave myself permission to be able to say no to something I was asked to do. I said yes to everything. And yet some of those things I resent now. I should have said no then. I could have been around my kids more while my husband was the bishop or, you know what I mean? And so nobody knows our situations and our emotional 
state, you know, health and um, mental health better than we do. And so we need to, we need to give ourselves permission to say what we feel that we can do and hopefully be respected by leadership in that also. I, I don't, I've heard at times back that we should never turn down a calling. I've heard that. And I, yeah, I lived that. And I don't think that's our doctrine. I don't think that's a canonized statement that appears. It's a cultural, and I think it's a sign potentially that we were so faithful we never turned down a calling. And I like you bringing that up. And I always felt like, and I didn't do this all the time, but I've always felt like when I extended a calling, I wanted, I've always thought best information precedes better revelation. Mm-hmm. And so I'd often meet with somebody for a <clears throat> a calling, especially a more senior calling, and have an exploratory interview. Um, and even at a couple times explored the very calling without extending without it. Without extending it, yeah. And I don't know if that's the right thing to do every time, but I just would approach it a little bit like that. This is what we're thinking. We want to know your station in life as we finally, and sort of we haven't fully taken to, this lo- to the Lord yet, to get a confirmation, but you're somebody that we wanted to explore this with. Um, I like that approach and a just, lot. You learn a lot about people, and then I think we could always take um, that added information. Now, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. I don't then know if somebody's not called, if they feel like, but, you know, maybe I don't know if that's the right thing. But I like involving people, and I also like, you know, in extending a calling, potentially to say, this may not be the right time, and sort of create an out for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I remember some times when I sent some hesitation as I was extending a call that I would, um, I didn't do everything right, listeners, so um, don't mm-hmm. want to pretend that I'm, I've got this all figured out, but I think sometimes I sense hesitation, and I would say, you know, you don't need to say yes right now. You should go talk about this with people, and if they were single, you couldn't say a spouse, um, and just kind of give them permission to say no and not have them feel like they've yeah. let you down. Yeah, I always appreciate that. When the bishop came over to ask me to be a Release Society teacher several months ago, I said, can I have a few days to talk cool. about this? And he said, of course. I came right before you left town, so you'd have some time while you are out of town to, to think about it. So I appreciated that. But it kind of goes hand in hand with my thoughts on sabbatical. Sometimes... We get so busy with our callings in the church and overwhelmed with life that we just need to give ourselves a little bit of a break. And I know that bishops and and um, release study presidents, ev- presidents and and other leaders in the church do have the concern over you know filling callings, but um, sometimes it's overwhelming to people, and so giving people that space is important. I love that, and um. I wrote down another note. I was visiting with an elders quorum president, and he visually talked about what he wants to do in the elders quorum. And he talked about the tent concept that you're talking about. But he said, "I don't. I want to extend the tent to be where people are. I don't want to move people underneath the tent. My goal is to extend the tent." And then he talked about different areas of extending the tent that I even even thought about. He talked about those that were professional and those that were less. For this is for the men that had sort of professional degrees and those that didn't, and how that at times was a way somebody's voice may not, those that didn't have professional degrees, for example, and had more blue-collar trade jobs, and how sometimes an award, that would be an othering thing. And he talked about people that had um, um, 
lots of callings and had a ex- significant church resume and those that didn't and how often there those that didn't's voices were not heard or valued and at times even the quorum could be difficult because their journey and their callings were not as you know prominent and so their voice was and he talked about age too where um, especially in elders quorum there may be some older men who feel like you know, they're husbands that they're no longer put out to pasture. Yeah, and they no longer have a way to contribute and then they don't have a voice and 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 younger people that may feel the same way because their life experiences may not give them a voice. And I just thought I, I don't have the answer to that, but I just it's what you're doing in your release society is that I think it's important to try to create a feeling that everybody belongs and everybody's voice is needed and any thoughts on that, Geraldine? Yeah, that well, the cre- I give all the credit to my current bishop and Release Society presidency, who are working really hard to create that in our ward and really big open hearts and just you know for whatever reason people want to be there, they want them to feel welcome there, and that's really that's really the way it should be in Christ Church, right? We shouldn't. And what was what was it that Uchtdorf said in his talk? I know of no church building that has a sign out in front that says your testimony has to be this tall to enter. Like, really, if we use that as our guidepost, then really, we just are welcoming people into the ward, into the sacrament meeting, into release society, into priesthood, and so happy that they're there and not judging them, you know, really. It's, you know, we talk about um, church should be a hospital for the sick, right? That's where not the perfect people go, but the people like you and I who all are imperfect and we need. So if we think about it more like that, and sometimes I think I go to church and everybody looks perfect, right? And so you think they don't have any problems, but really we all have struggles and wrestles in our life. And it's making people feel like they are part of the body of Christ and we want you here. That's really so key. And I think a bishop or a sensitive Release Society president, or both can do that and make a difference for somebody. Um, thank you, Geraldine. You have a beautiful voice and great insights in the doctrine of Christ and our church and a really unique life mission. I think you have a couple callings. You have this calling <laughs> that shows up on LDS Tools as Release Society teacher. If you're, if you're ward <laughs> clerk, whoever puts those in, put it in and you have this ministry through what you're doing um, online, and that's how I connected with you and um, the Facebook groups that you're a part of that help moderate that are really helpful. Um, and you have just this perspective because of your own personal journey that people latch onto, um, and it's very, very helpful. Um, I think of your grandkids, and I think some those grandkids that are growing up outside the church and I think you know this anyway, but maybe, so maybe I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to other parents that have grandkids, but I think some of your greatest paydays will be those grandkids and, and the trust you've given to your son to raise good kids, knowing that you have taught your son incredible values. And, and here he is, you know, contributing to the community in such a meaningful way at Utah State and blessing so many people's lives and, and those skills that you taught him. Um, I think and I think if he were on the podcast, he'd recognize that, and and he's probably told you that that the core life values that make him the man and the father, um, that he a husband that he is, are things that you and your husband have taught him. And I think the, one of the great paydays is going to be your grandkids. And even though they're not in the church, and we worry about that, you know, they're being raised in a, a loving family. 
um, being taught important basic truths that will help them be good parents. And then we just leave it at the Savior. Right. And I, and I ha- would have to say that there are a lot of things I have learned from my son and from my other children who have stepped away that have helped me to be a better, more compassionate person. And that's one of the biggest messages that I appreciate that I feel like our ward leadership, especially our Relief Society presidency addressed in a lesson is that we can learn from people that are different than us. Everybody has something to teach us. And so I would have to give credit to my children that, you know, they, they really have taught me a lot. And although it's been hard, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any of it back. And this journey has led me to so many incredible friendships like you and your brother, so many people in my life that I would have never met had I not had this kind of crisis happen in my life. Right. And so I think that through hard things, we really do grow and that it's a part of our adult development and faith. And that if we just keep telling ourselves and promising ourselves, it will get better. It does get better. It does get better. And those really painful moments then become something that you can take and share with other people and say, I I get this. I understand this. I'm with you. I sit with you in this because I've been there. Any other thoughts you'd like to share in closing, Geraldine? No, just that I'm really grateful for what you're doing. Um, This really is a ministry. I know a lot of people that listen to your podcasts. And I think your um, your work with our LGBT brothers and sisters is so important and so touching to me. And, you know, we're all on this path progressing. And I would have to say that I am far from what I once was, but not yet what I'm going to be. What a great statement to leave on. Um, Geraldine Renshaw, thank you for joining us on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And I just think this is a beautiful family love story. Thank you, Richard. Um, with these four kids and nine grandkids and that hug your husband gave you after that church. There's just so many nuggets day at church, yeah. of ministry and <laughs> insight. So, um, But the podcast works because of you and our, our guests that come on and share their stories. And we're grateful for our listeners that are sharing the podcast with others. I have um, people that come up to me quite a bit now and just talk about the podcast. And I don't have any idea how many that this would you know, that this many people would be listening, but it's, it's a, so thank you, our listeners, and thank you, our guests, and Richard Osler signing up from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.